Hey, welcome to Adventures Among Ideas. So, does literature give us knowledge? And uh, if so, what kind of knowledge? And knowledge about what? So, the relation of literature and knowledge has been a problem in philosophy and liter uh, literary theory for some time. And in one way, it's a very old problem, going back like pretty much everything else to the ancient Greeks. Uh, in another way, though, it's a pretty modern problem. And in the modern incarnation of this problem, it's maybe traceable to the spread of modern science and the decline of religious authority. Um, in modern society, it's science rather than literature, which is supposed to tell us what, about what's true, um, about the natural world, and about the social psychological worlds even. Uh, literature used to have a role in conveying knowledge about the divine, and I always think of Milton trying to justify God's ways to man. Uh, but religion has less and less purchase in many people's lives today, and, um, and literature seems to have less to tell us about that supernatural world. And if literature does not have a special claim to truth about, uh, truth about the natural or the supernatural worlds, then what is it for? Is it merely an amusement for passing the time? Is it merely rhetoric or nonsense or deception? Right? So what is it? What is it for? This has been one of the um, anxieties within academic literary studies and even within the humanities generally for more, uh, more than a central, at least you know, a couple hundred years maybe. Um, so what actually is literature for? What does it do for us? One answer to this question has been that literature does, in fact, give us a kind of knowledge or tell us something true about the world. And uh, this knowledge that it gives us is not just knowledge about literature itself. So the question that I'm uh, thinking about today is what knowledge does, does literature give us that is not just knowledge about literature? And there have been may, uh, many important attempts to deal with these questions. Uh, some touchstones... Historical touchstones are I.A. Richards' book, uh, Science and Poetry, uh, Dorothy Walsh's book, Literature and Knowledge. I was inspired recently to revisit this issue after reading an essay by the literary critic Jonathan Kramnik called Criticism and Truth. This was uh, published last year. But today I want to draw some insights from an older paper by Morse Peckham called Literature and Knowledge. This paper was delivered at a conference in 1972 on the very topic of literature as knowledge. Uh, literature and knowledge, the essay, <clears throat> like many of Peckham's essay, takes a very winding road through its subject matter. So I'm going to try to put his points into a more digestible form today. Uh, first of all, there have been at least three major answers to the question of whether literature gives us knowledge of something beyond literature. And this is uh, answers by people who care about literature as opposed to people who want to dismiss literature as something important. So one answer is that literature does not give us knowledge of anything besides its, uh, beyond itself aside from knowledge applicable to the reading of more literature. So literature gives us knowledge of uh, you know, how to deal with future literature in this maybe argument. So a poem may have some effect on a reader, but this is not knowledge of anything in particular. At most, part of the effect of a poem on a reader is increasing the reader's knowledge of how to read a poem. So literature can impart a kind of what the philosopher Gilbert Ryle called knowledge how. So there's various kinds of knowledge we're going to need to distinguish. One of them is called, one of them is knowledge how. Uh, 
So knowledge how to read literature in this case. Um, or this would also be what Peckham calls behavioral knowledge, knowledge of literary behavior. But literature in this view does not give us what Ryle called knowledge that, or what Peckham calls propositional knowledge. So in other words, literature does not give us knowledge of the world outside literature. So it may give us knowledge about how to deal with literature and you know, literature that we may encounter in the future or literature that comes from the past, but it doesn't give us knowledge of the world outside of literature. So that's one answer. So a second answer to the question of whether literature gives us knowledge of something beyond literature or beyond a particular work is that it does give us a, such knowledge, but that this knowledge is ineffable. This was a popular word at some point. Um, it may be still kind of a popular word in artistic circles. Uh, what literature tells us in this view can only be told in the particular language of literature. A poem may give, give us knowledge, but the knowledge is confined to the particular wordings, the particular words of that poem. The literary critic William Wimsatt uh, expresses this view in one of his essays. So Wimsatt wrote, In each poem there is something, an individual intuition or a concept, which can never be expressed by um, in other, which can never be expressed in other terms. Sorry. Uh, it is like the square root of two or like pi, pi pi, which cannot be expressed by rational numbers, but only as their limit. So there is something known by means of a poem, an intuition or a concept, he says, but this can only be known in the form of that particular poem. We can point to it or delimit it using other language, but we cannot convey the exact knowledge through other language. Uh, therefore, we could say this knowledge is ineffable rather than propositional or behavioral. It's not in any obvious, uh, it's not in any way obvious way giving us knowledge that something is the case. This means knowledge that or propositional knowledge. So the poem's not giving us knowledge that something is true. Um, or it's not giving us knowledge about how to do something. So that's not giving us behavioral knowledge, perhaps. We'll come back to this point. Um, propositional or behavioral knowledge can help us discover this ineffable truth that the literary work gives us, supposedly, but they cannot themselves express this ineffable truth. So we can't, um, we can't prove that we've attained ineffable knowledge by our propositions or behaviors. Um, it has to be proved in some other way, perhaps, um, ineffably. Well, I'll come back to this point. Uh, in fact, I'll say more about it right now. So, uh, so how do we know that we have obtained some new kind of ineffable knowledge after reading a work of literature? So we know, according to the theory, because somehow the world looks different. It seems different to us after encountering such a work. Literature changes, perhaps, our experience of events, of other people, of objects out in the world. Peckham calls the kind of knowledge obtained, according to this theory, according to the ineffability theory, um, reorientational knowledge. So this would be yet another kind of knowledge, perhaps a third kind of knowledge. Um, and this 
this uh, label of reorientational knowledge is kind of useful because it's more descriptive than ineffable, right? It gives you a sense of what actually uh, the knowledge consists of, consists of a new kind of experience, a new way of experiencing, of interpreting experience. So literature in this view reorients us in reality. Uh, it gives us what the po poet Wallace Stevens called a new knowledge of reality. Now, I did say that ineffable knowledge would not be considered behavioral knowledge, and I would like to maybe quibble with this a little bit. Um, if we understand the function of ineffable knowledge to be reorientational, to like change our view of the world, we might actually consider it, consider it to be a special kind of behavioral knowledge or knowledge how, to use Ryle's term. In particular, it's knowledge about how to experience reality, about how to, uh, how to feel with respect to the objects and events of the world. So after reading a great, great, a great work of literature, we may have more wonder, or we may have more patience, or determination, or we may see the world somehow more clearly. And all of these seem to me um, behavioral in subtle ways, maybe. Subtle and not so subtle ways. Um, an additional point that Peckham is that Peckham believes that ineffable knowledge is not absolutely ineffable. So it's just harder to make effable. I'm uh, not quite sure if effable is actually a word. I should have looked that up, but it would seem logically to be a word if ineffable is a word. But it's harder to make um, ineffable knowledge effable than regular propositional or behavioral knowledge. And this depends on cultural context and stuff and development of culture. Um, Peckham says it's ineffable for the time being, so it's not absolutely ineffable, but we may not at the time be able to say exactly what it is. We may someday be able to convert the ineffable reorientational knowledge that a poem gives us into, say, propositional knowledge that, um, that we can all agree on, but at the moment it may just be very difficult or uh, impossible given a particular level of cultural development and the concepts available and so on and so forth. Okay, but to recap before looking at the last view, uh, one theory says that literature gives us no knowledge beyond itself aside from behavioral knowledge of how to experience other literature. Another theory, uh, theory says that literature gives us ineffable or reorientational knowledge of reality which changes our experience of reality, although this knowledge cannot be stated in terms other than those of the work itself. But there is, thirdly, the view that literature does indeed give us propositional knowledge of the non-literary world and behavioral knowledge relevant to that non-literary world. The question, as far as Peckham is concerned, is not so much whether uh, sentences that we might take out of literary works, or sentences that we, I should say, sentences that we might find in literary works. The question is not whether these sentences inherently yield knowledge about the world. The question is rather the sentence, uh, whether the sentences in liter literary works can be interpreted, whether we can interpret them as yielding knowledge about the world. Can, then, the sentences in literary works be interpreted as yielding propositional or behavioral knowledge? And the short answer is that yes, they can. Actually, uh, any sentence, according to Peckham, can be questioned as to whether it is knowledge yielding. For example, I just said any sentence, according to Peckham, can be questioned as to whether it is knowledge yielding. That's a sentence you could find in my speech. Um, 
And we can ask whether the, that sentence itself gives us knowledge. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. We can ask. And what are the standards and so on? Uh, we could interpret it as giving us knowledge about sentences, for example, or knowledge about Peckham's beliefs, for example. Or we could interpret it as giving knowledge about how to read a sentence, and so on. So if we say that the sentence does indeed give us knowledge about one of these things, we're giving the sentence a certain kind of value. The word knowledge, Peckham argues, is a kind of honorific term. We can apply this honorific term, uh, knowledge, to sentences, or we can withhold the term knowledge from sentences in order to either validate them or invalidate them. Um, and it seems obvious that when someone says that literature is nonsense or a pack of lies, um, in other words, that it does not yield knowledge, they're making a value judgment about literature. They're withholding from literature a value that is important in our society. We kind of val validate something, give value to something when we say that it gives us knowledge or that it is knowledge or whatever. Likewise, when someone says that literature is just chock full to the brim of good tasty knowledge, they're validating, validating it as a worthy part of our culture. So, assuming that literature can be questioned as to its knowledge content, what kinds of knowledge can it be interpreted as yielding? What kind of knowledge can we get from literature? So let's take a look at propositional knowledge first, um, or knowledge that, again, to use Ryle's term. Uh, it's sometimes claimed that literature gives us knowledge about things like human history and psychology. Sentences in literary works can be interpreted as true, as true propositions about historical conditions or about how people think and feel about their psychology under certain conditions. And we can test this uh, possible knowledge by finding similar sentences in non-literary sources, like newspapers, um, or in pictorial representation, like paintings, photographs, um, that seem to match the content of sentences in literary works. We can compare literary, work, literary works with other things, um, see how they match up. Do they kind of verify each other? The Iliad, for example, to take a classic example, has been interpreted as telling us something true about historical and psychological conditions in ancient Greece. Uh, the novels of Dickens, Charles Dickens, have been interpreted as telling us something true about historical and psychological conditions um, in 19th century England. Uh, as with any kind of evidence, the propositional knowledge der derived from literature needs to be verified, it needs to be checked, and we do this by comparing it with knowledge derived from other kinds of sources. Again, um, literature, liter uh, sorry, a newspaper or histor historical documents, uh, paintings, and so on, things like that. Uh, but what about behavioral knowledge? So literature, Beckham says, has, to, has uh, historically been one of the most important ways of transmitting behavioral knowledge. Though nowadays its place has perhaps been usurped by TV shows or, you know, whatever you call Netflix shows, it's not really TV anymore, um, and movies, um, video clips, and um, although it's worth pointing out that the content of these grows out of our literary traditions and you know, mythological traditions and so on. 
Um, but traditionally, societies have deposited their most important instructions for behavior into myths and into other kinds of stories, and it's how they've this is how they've maintained correct modes of behavior. And it's also how individuals have presented innovative modes of behavior. Um, it's been said by a number of people um, that we learn how to love from romance novels and romantic movies. And an uh, example I always like is that apparently the novel American Psycho taught men of a certain generation how to sh uh, shave properly, how to shave their faces. And uh, just as a side note, Brett, uh, the author Brett Easton Ellis um, has mentioned that he got his information from places like Esquire magazine. That's another kind of, um, I don't know, close to a, a literary source. But it's interesting how knowledge is transmitted. Literature is one of those ways of transmitting behavioral knowledge, like the proper way to shave, uh, the proper way to court someone, and so on. Uh, Peckham says that we can think of the formal properties of literature. Uh, well, maybe I'll explain a little bit about this, but we can think of the formal properties of literature, literature as a kind of highlighting or italicizing that alert us to the fact that something important is being conveyed. Uh, Peckham talks about literature having a greater concentration or overdetermination of linguistic features or intensification of linguistic features compared to ordinary language. So in liter literary language, you're more likely to see um, rhyme or alliteration or extended metaphor or extensive description. You'll see more of this than you'd find in more utilitarian forms of language. And these special techniques alert us to the fact that something special is happening, something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, there's a, a running joke in American culture that if you want something to be persuasive, you should say it in rhyme. This is kind of like an old trick. Uh, you can recall, for example, Johnny Cochran's famous line, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. This in a miniature form is a kind of literature which embodies a bit of behavioral knowledge. I know some people are not going to agree that this is literature, but just bear with me for a second. Um, you know, it's a kind of behavioral knowledge, right? Under conditions X, you must do Y. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Um, and actually, as Peckham points out, traditionally we would call call this sort of thing thing uh, rhetoric rather than literature. Although the line between literature and rhetoric is very blurry. Generally, uh, however, rhetoric has short-term practical action as a goal, while literature does not. This is why you, I think you can get away with saying some pretty terrible things in literature that you can't say, for example, in a public speech. And also why highly innovative behaviors can be more safely presented in literature. We hold a public speaker, such as a politician, uh, more responsible for what people do after hearing their speech than we do literary authors. Um, but the behavioral or representation, uh, reorientational knowledge, so the, the behavioral or reorientational knowledge presented in each case is of the same nature, it's of the same kind, whether it's rhetoric or literature. Uh, think about it in terms of man the management or the channeling of behavior. So both rhetoric and literature channel our practical and perceptual behavior. They guide it in certain ways. And they both use linguistic techniques that uh, distinguish them from ordinary speech. They kind of draw attention to themselves as something a little bit special, as something different than uh, what we do in our daily lives. 
But rhetoric in the sense of public speaking is usually about a narrower range of short-term behavior, while literature is not usually interpreted as direct instruction, like you must do this after you finish this novel, um, even though occasionally we might learn how to you know, better court someone or the appropriate ways of courting someone or the appropriate ways of shaving and so on, to use my example from a minute ago. So to sum up, uh, literature does indeed offer us knowledge, or better, can be interpreted as knowledge yielding. Uh, literature can give us propositional knowledge about how things are in the world, insofar as we interpret it as historical or psychological and place it alongside other conventionally historical or psychological texts. Uh, and then literature can give us behavioral knowledge about how to act in the world, either in a conventional or an, in an innovative way. And literature can give us reorientational knowledge about how to interpret our experience. So I mentioned these three, three kinds of knowledge. And then a final, more philosophical point that Peckham draws is that each of the kinds of knowledge, propositional, uh, behavioral, reorientational, these are in fact different ways of naming the same thing. This is because knowing how things are and knowing how to interpret experience are both kinds of behaviors, at least I think Peckham would argue, and I would maybe argue this as well. They're kinds of knowing how to do something. Peckham doesn't say so explicitly in this particular essay, but I think that for Peckham, as a kind of behaviorist, though not a Skinnerian behaviorist, but a more, more uh, a behaviorist more broadly construed, um, all knowledge is ultimately behavioral knowledge, or what um, Ryle called knowledge how. Okay, so that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.